you turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter again, the first letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to those persecuted believers to try and encourage them in their faith to stand strong. And those words haven't changed. They're still here for us today. And I don't know about you, but we still go through hard times. And we still need these words of encouragement. And that is why God has brought us together to give us courage to live lives for Him, lives that glorify His name. So the book of First Peter, chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 13. Right through to verse 22, and then we'll be looking more closely at verses 18 to 22 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, and keeping a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Wow. What a passage from God's word this morning. You know, when I was at school, algebra and trigonometry were a major mystery to me. And I can't say that that's improved too much. Someone tried to explain the principles of trig to me and once they explained things to me concept by concept, there was part of it I could understand. And it was actually quite useful when you had to work out angles and things, especially when I was flying. That was kind of helpful then. But the rest is still a mystery to me. And it's a mystery I'm not actually going to go into. But you know, when you understand basic concepts of trigonometry and algebra, you actually can find that it's quite useful and that you actually, and yes, it's me saying this, you actually enjoy it as well. And this passage, when I first read it, I thought, man, this is a bit like algebra. 
especially that verses 19 and 20 about the prison and spirits. And Noah, where does Noah come into all this? And I was thinking, Peter, what are you up to? Even great Bible scholars and teachers like John Calvin and John MacArthur and Wayne Grudem and Frank Gablin, they all can't agree what those specific verses say. And so what hope is there for lowly little pastors like us to try and find our way through all this? Peter once accused the Apostle Paul that he was writing things hard to understand. But I think it is a case here of the pot calling the kettle black. But you know, even with those verses this morning, this is one of the greatest passages in the New Testament to encourage Christians to persevere under suffering and for assurance and to look for Christ's death and resurrection for their hope, help and victory. If you want assurance of your faith, if you want victory in your, in your daily life, then this is the passage for you this morning with all its little difficulties. You see, we're not going to solve those intricacies this, the, we're not going to solve those intricacies this morning. But we are going to be looking at the practical help that the Apostle points us to. And then in your own time, and you can come and see me and there's plenty of volumes, you can go through and try and make head and tail of some of those little details. You see, we mustn't miss the wood for the trees here. We must see why the Apostle Paul wrote what he wrote. So what is this great truth on which the Apostle builds this foundation for his proclamation of hope? Why does he say in verse 15, sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your lives and endure suffering if God wills it? Why does he say that? Well, it's based here in this text. And firstly, he says in verse 18, if we read that together, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. You see, Christ suffered to bring you to God. That's what the Apostle wants to point us to. And those few sen- that sentence I was just reading there is one of the shortest, simplest and richest summaries in the New Testament. If you ask the question, what is the meaning of the cross? There it is, summed up for you. Why? Because it gives us the problem. What was the problem? Man's sin. He's separated from God. It gives us the execution of God's plan, literally. God sent His Son who died for us so that we could be set free. And then it gives us a solution. Christ didn't stay in the grave. He rose again, giving us new life in Christ. And there we have the whole summary of the Gospel. So as we look at these verses this morning, I want to just slow real down. We're going to go into half time as we look at verse 18. Because if we understand what happens here, the rest will make sense. So let's look at verse 18. We first have that word, Christ died for sins. And unequivocally today, I want to state who this Christ is. You see, there are so many religions today that are telling us who Christ is and trying to give us definitions of what this Christ did. And so this Christ who we're speaking about here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who was promised and who came, the only Son of the living God. And there are, there are religions around today that said He wasn't 
the living God. The one who was also God. The JWs will disagree with us here. They will say he's not also God. While he was and is also God. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God. Are we clear on who this was? Our text says Christ also died. He suffered and died, depending on which version you're reading. But he suffered and that led to his death. You see, Christ has gone before you and I and before me. He didn't just suffer, he also died. And so when we go through times of suffering, Christ has been there already. We can go through what we're going because Christ has been there. He's done it. He's got the victory and he's given us the same victory. We see in this text Christ had to die and there are two reasons for it. Look at our text. You pick it up there. Christ died firstly for, for sins. You see, Christ died for the sin of mankind before a holy God. Adam's disobedience way back in Genesis brought God's wrath and condemnation on all mankind since that time. And it brought a separation between mankind and God for all time until Christ came. And also it brought God's wrath on mankind because God is a holy God and because of His perfect justice. His justice demanded payment for sin to make man right with God. Mankind was completely separated from God. So we are separated from God. You need to understand this. Just go slowly with this, with me through this. Mankind is separated from God from before our conception until after our death. And do you see why we cannot have a hand in our salvation? It's out of our hands, literally. Because we were separated from God before we were even born. And until after we die, we can't have a hand in our own salvation. Nothing we can do can fix the situation. We are in a position of separation without God in our lives. Separation from eternal God. But Christ's death made perfect payment. Why was it perfect payment? Because it was God paying God. Do you see why it was perfect payment? The Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity... God himself paid the perfect price to his Father, the first person of the Trinity, and won with him. It was perfect payment for sin to be removed. And when that happened, our position before God can change and we can come into a relationship with him. We become right with God. So Christ died for sins. And I want to state something else clearly this morning. Christ wasn't just a good example of how we can have our sins forgiven. Hear what I'm saying here. Because the New Age movement has come in and they are saying this. They are saying Jesus was just a good example for us to follow and it shows us how we can have our sins forgiven. No, he literally became sin for us. He died for sin. He wasn't just a good example. We need to understand that clearly. You're going to hear that and it's coming up more and more. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it is finished. Not I am a good example and someone else will do it again. Watch me and then watch them and have your sins forgiven. It is finished, he said. So he died for sins. 
Secondly, we see in our text, verse 18, that he died once for all. Now, that is rich. There is rich theology in here. He died once for all. You see, before Christ died for us as humankind, blood sacrifices had to be paid over and over and over. It's estimated that the Jews slaughtered approximately a quarter of a million sheep every year only during Passover. A quarter of a million sheep. And that's not even cattle and that's not even birds. That's just sheep. Imagine the blood. You see, this was a perpetual motion of blood over and over. But Christ's death put an end to that. He died once. That means one time. Once only. The perfect payment. He died once for all. That is for all time. It's never going to be repeated again. Christ is not going to die again. He has died. And whatever the Jews might think, looking ahead for their Messiah who is still to come, Christ has already died and paid the price for sin. It is finished, he said. The price has been paid for all time. That, That little phrase, for all, he died for all, doesn't mean he died for all people. That is also floating around. It is not a truth. Christ didn't die for all people. Listen carefully to what I'm saying this morning. Christ died for all those who would come to him. He died for them. The rest will still have to pay for their sin in full one day. They are going to die an eternal death when Christ Jesus comes again in judgment. There's a massive warning here. You see, if you're not a believer here today, if you haven't accepted Christ's offer of salvation, of new life to you this morning, you are going to pay for that sin one day. And you are going to die an eternal death. You are never going to die, but you are going to die. Do you get me? It's going to carry on forever and ever because of God's judgment. It's going to happen. But Christ died for you if you come to Him and, uh, and take His offer of salvation and accept that response, that relationship with Him. And so whatever other religions may claim, Christ died once for all. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one good enough to pay the price for sin, says that beautiful old hymn. He died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, says our text. And that little word just is used in its singular form. The just for the unjust, plural form of the word in the original. One for many. Jesus Christ for many, says our text. He died the just for the unjust. We were unjust before God. He was the only one good enough. And the purpose of his death, here it is. Now listen carefully, because there's a lot of untruth floating around as well. So that he might bring us to God. You see, that didn't, doesn't say they bring us back to God. Look in your Bible. Does it say bring us back to God? It says he, need, he wants to bring us to God. You see, we are separated from God. How can we come back to Him? We are separated from Him. Yes, the Muslims say you are born a Muslim and then you move away slowly in your life and then you are to come back to Allah again. But this isn't Islam. This is Christianity. We are born separated from God Christ has to bring us back. 
to God. Bring us to God. Sorry, I'm killing myself. Christ has to bring us to God. We've never been there. We have been separated. This, this term that he uses here is to bring us to God is a technical term they used in the ancient court systems when they would look at a person who wanted to see the king, they would then verify his right to actually come into the king's presence and then someone, once they checked on this person and done all the background checks, then they would usher this person into the king's presence and introduce him or her to the king. That's the same word used here. You see, Jesus Christ, when he died and rose again, became our great high priest. And now we have access to the Father through him. And when we come to the Father, Christ verifies us in him and he makes sure that his blood covers our sins and then he brings you and I, if we are believers here this morning, and he ushers us into the presence of his Father. He is our great high priest. He died once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. And then our text says, in case we weren't clear enough, says the Apostle Peter, he was put to death in the flesh. Now that leaves no doubt, whatever, that Jesus, his physical life ended. And you know the people around, even now, who say, he didn't really die, he just swooned. And, and when he was in the cold tomb, he kind of revived again, and then he rose. And that is still floating around today. No, the Bible says he was put to death in the flesh. The Romans, who were his killers, they knew how to kill people. They were professional killers. And when they stuck that spear into Jesus' side, and they saw the water and the blood separated coming out of his side, they knew as professional killers who'd done it all before, this man is dead. And that's why they didn't break his bones to fulfill prophecy. And the other people, they broke their bones to hasten death. Because that pain made them sag down and actually um, they couldn't breathe anymore and so they died. But Jesus was already dead. He was put to death in the flesh. Don't believe lies that are around today. But you know, Jesus' body that died, that wasn't the great punishment that he was fearing. When Jesus sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't because he was about to die physically. That wasn't the big thing for him. That was only the least part of his punishment because his spirit then experienced separation from God. Now this is God, triune God, the Father, Son and Spirit, one God, and Jesus experiences separation from his own Father. That was what he was sweating about. Great drops of blood. You see, the full wrath of God, the full anger of God for all of man's sins and all his iniquities, the full weight of God's judgment came down on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was crushed by his Father, by this weight of sin and judgment for you and me. And you know, I praise God every time I read anything like this, that the story didn't didn't end here. Do you praise the Lord that the story didn't end there? Christ didn't stay in the grave. And he wasn't just an example. And now I've got to try and live life. He died. He was put to death in the flesh. But, says our word, he was made alive in the spirit. You see, there was a victory proclamation 
that was made. Christ didn't remain in the grave. Verses 19 to 21. You see, Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ conquered death. And through the Holy Spirit, and we don't know how that worked, but the Holy Spirit brought the Lord Jesus Christ. After he'd been crushed by the Father, he raised him. And before he went and joined his physical body, our text says he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. You see, and this is where the difficulties in the interpretation start. Because immediately, as curious human beings, we're asking, spirits in prison? What prison? What spirits? What is this all about? I don't understand. What's Noah got to do with all this? If you read those verses, 19 to 21. Some say, and I'll give you the three schools of thought. Some say that these spirits in prison refer to the human spirits of the unsaved who are being kept in a place of waiting until judgment. And some of these were the people who did not listen to Noah's warning about the coming flood. You know, when Noah was busy building the ark, he kept warning people, you need to turn to the Lord for salt. You need to come to the Lord. And you need to come into this ark when it's finished building because a great flood is coming. You need to listen to the words of warning. You need to come in and be saved. And they didn't listen. Now, some people say these are some of those people were part of the spirits who are in this prison being kept for judgment. Others say that these are the spirits of the fallen angels of Genesis chapter 6 who cohabited with, a hu- with human women in the time of Noah and procreated with them and disobeyed God and who are waiting final judgment in prison or other words for it, Hades or the abyss or Sheol. You might have heard of those terms. Remember when the spirits were cast out of the pigs? Jesus cast them out. What did they say to him? Lord, please don't send us into the abyss, into prison. That's what's spoken of here. It seems to be a place of waiting where those who are in judgment are kept until Jesus comes and judges them. And then there's a third group, and I want you to hear this one carefully, please, because it's an untruth. There's a third group who say that Christ went to offer a second chance of salvation to all those already in hell. don't know where they get that from. But this view is in direct contradiction to the rest of Scripture and has to be rejected. Why? Because Scripture says, clearly states, that human beings can only accept God's offer of salvation when? While we are still alive. Once we are dead, there is no second chance. And nowhere in Scripture does it speak anything about spirits and demons who can come to salvation. Nowhere ever does it speak about that. So where this comes from is man. And we have to recognize it as an untruth. But you know, there's a direct warning here for you and I too, for you if you're an unbeliever here today, because I know I'm a believer. If you're an unbeliever here today, don't think that you can wait until just before you die or until you're dead and then you might have a second chance. There is no second chance then. You've only got the chance to come to the Lord Jesus Christ while you are alive, while He gives you breath. And... His grace allows you to come to Him. You've only got that chance. After that, it's over. That is the truth from God's Word. You see, even though we can't fully understand everything in those verses, we don't want to miss the Apostle Peter's main intent for telling us about this. 
You see, Jesus went to proclaim victory over death. Why does he say that to us? Because he wants to encourage these saints who he's writing to in the New Testament church. They are going through extreme hardship and he says, Christ died for you and yes, he was raised again. And he he even went to prison where the spirits are kept and he made proclamation before he joined his body and was raised. It was there to encourage the believers. Jesus went to proclaim victory to all those waiting in Sheol. That's the human spirits, the demons, the fallen angels who did not give heed to this message. Throughout the whole of history, they turned their backs on the Lord and his message. Jesus goes to them and he proclaims victory. We don't know what he said. Scripture doesn't say what Jesus said there. But he definitely went and when he spoke, they knew he is victorious. He is risen. It is true. And they feared the day of judgment because it was coming. They knew. Christ went to proclaim victory. And only then, when he'd done that, did he rejoin his body and his, he was raised to new life. His, he had a physical resurrection on the third day. You see, if you were a New Testament believer, would that message give you hope? It gives me hope and I'm not even in their situation. To know that Christ is all-powerful and that he has declared victory over all the forces of evil and over death itself. That must give us hope. It gives us victory. And so we come to verses 20 and 21. We haven't kind of dealt with Noah yet. We're going to. All right. Furthermore, says the Apostle, there's a promise of resurrection here from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Noah and his family were delivered from death. Why? Because in obedience they went into the ark, they came through death, and then they were resurrected. Because when the doors opened on the ark, God had saved them. He had given them new life. And that's what the apostle is pointing to. He said, in obedience, Noah and his family of eight were saved because they went into the ark through death, and then they were given resurrection life, new life. But he says that's not all, as if we couldn't get that clearly. And in an effort to kind of clear things up, he kind of modifies things a bit. But in a way, when you understand this, it's fantastic. He says, in the same way, we've got the picture of baptism. What happens during baptism? Does baptism save us, says Scripture? No, that's just the washing of flesh. That's what the text says. What is baptism? Something has to happen before baptism. We have to die with Christ. And we have to be given new life in us. And then we are raised through baptism into new life. And that's what the picture is of baptism, isn't it? You are not saved by being baptized. That is a picture of what has already happened in your life. And so says the apostle, just as Noah in obedience came to the was saved because he went into the ark and was resurrected to new life. If you ask the Lord to give you a clear conscience, says our text, you ask the Lord to do it. He will save. And he will bring you through death and give you new life in Christ. And so you can be baptized and tell others. Do you see, it's, it's hard, but it's not that hard. The Apostle's message to us this morning is, if Christ could save a remnant before you, like Noah and his family, he will save you and I too. If we are faithful, He will bring us through to the end. 
until we either see Him and meet Him in the clouds, or until He raises us up to be with Him. But we need to stay obedient to Him. Yes, even going through hard times, even going through persecution. Why? Because Christ has won the victory for us already. He's made it possible for you and I. That old hymn which says, listen to these words, Up from the grave He arose, with a mighty triumph over His foes. He didn't whimper, I won. He shouted, a mighty triumph over His foes. He arose, a victor from the dark domain. Christ suffered the full wrath of, the heavenly, of His heavenly Father. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever. And it stops there. No? With his saints to reign. Who's that? It's me. It's Alex. It's you. If you're a believer here today, Christ lives with you and I forever with his saints to reign. So he's got the victory. We've got the victory. And do you see why the apostle writes this for us? So that we can take courage. So that we can be encouraged when we go through times when we think these waves are going to crash in on us. But that's not all. You've heard that before, hey? Good sales. Well, the apostle says, that's not all. He ends it with verse 22. He is at the right hand of God. There's more, you see. Christ has risen. The apostle ends with a final glorious note here. Christ is victorious. He is the resurrected Christ now. But he has also ascended into heaven and is now at the right hand of God in that place of prestige, that place of ultimate authority that God has given to him. The Father has said, you take full authority now, my son. Christ is in that place at the right hand of the Father in total authority over angels. That's the good angels. He sends them out to do his bidding. He's in total control of Satan. Do you remember the story of Job? Satan came to report to the Lord. Okay? God is in total control of Satan now. It might not look like it when we look at what's happening around us in the world, but God has won the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and he has total control over all demons, evil spirits, minions of Satan. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. Don't go looking for demons behind every second bush who are going to try and trick you. Yes, we need to stay close to the Lord, but He is the victorious one. We do not need to live in fear of all these evil spirits. Christ has won the victory. He has crushed the serpent's head. Satan has lost. Those are all statements saying the same thing. I hope you get it. Satan has been subjected to Christ and one day he will bow the knee before he is cast forever into hell together with all his minions and all unbelievers who have turned their backs on Christ. They will join Satan and his minions in hell. That's God's word. That's not me. Another beautiful hymn. Listen to these words. Lifted up was he to die on the cross. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. I didn't hear one hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, thank you. Do we believe this? What a saviour. You see, it was for lost human beings that the Lord Jesus Christ died. Lost human beings like you and I 
who were once without God. He died for us while we were still in our disobedience. And Satan and his lost angels, together with those who died in disobedience, could only listen in dismay to Christ's cry of victory. And us, you and I, as elect saints, we can only be so grateful that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, says Romans. That's you and I. He died at the right time. And do you see this mighty picture that the Apostle paints here for us? About how God takes this situation of seeming helplessness. Here is the world plunged into utter darkness. And in comes the Lord Jesus Christ. And out of His persecution and out of His apparent loss, when they killed Him, the Jews thought, that's it. We've done our bit. It's over. God brings this picture of victory from that. The Apostle says, saints, be confident. He will do the same to you as well when you go through hard times. The Lord Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. He's living now. And we have the victory in Him. Yes, in 62 AD, that's the message that went out to those people. That same message stands to us today, 2011. So what about your life this morning as I end? We've seen the truth from God's word to us about Christ's suffering, His death, His resurrection, victory, His ascension. Are these all words that have gone over our heads? It is possible for us to be victorious in our Christian living, do you see? And that means in any area of your life. And so, you and I as believers, do we have anxiety in our hearts still? Do we have those times when we wonder, what's going to happen next? And we are really worried about things, worried about who's going to provide tomorrow. You see, those are areas in our lives that are still not come under this victorious, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why verse 15 says we need to center Him at the center of our hearts. Then all these other things will be stripped away. Your self-centeredness. If you understand Christ's victory, there will be no space for you and I at the center of our hearts. We will not be the idol here. Christ has to be the idol. Your pride. If you understand that the Lord Jesus gave you new life and that he cried victory, then you cannot put yourself in the place of him in your heart. I want to leave you with a word of encouragement if that wasn't enough. That's not all. The next loud cry of victory that you and I hear will be from Jesus Christ Himself when He returns for His loved ones. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ today, it doesn't matter if you carry on living and then the Lord comes or if you die and then the Lord comes. It doesn't matter at all. Why? We, we have no fear of death anymore. Death has, has lost its thing. Christ saw to that. What does Thessalonians say to us? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18. We've put it up here for you. Look at this truth. Take courage from this truth. The next time you hear a victory cry, this is what it's going to be. For the Lord Himself, that's Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven with a cry of command. He's not going to say, look on Facebook's chaps, I'm coming. He's going to be here with a cry of command and to helping along with the voice of an archangel. That was the loudest sound anyone would ever hear. 
with the sound of the trumpet of God. Everyone, dead and alive, will know Jesus Christ has returned. Everyone will know. No one is going to miss His second coming. And then, says Scripture, the dead in Christ. That means those who are already dead, but in Christ, will rise. You will be joined with your new body that He will give you at that time. And you will rise first. That's not fair. Yes, you will rise first. Then we who are alive will also join with Him and be caught up together with them, that is, all these people that have already been resurrected, and be with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And you know, that's going to happen in a split second. When the Lord Jesus Christ appears, the dead in Christ will rise with their new bodies and wait in the clouds. And we, if Christ comes before we die, will go up and we will wait with this vast multitude in the clouds. And then we will meet with Jesus. There's a pause. And then we meet with the Lord. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Eternity written there in a few words. Therefore, says the Apostle, as if he needed to, encourage one another with these words. There's the Apostle's intent for this passage. Don't get stuck in those difficult things. Look at his intent. Then go and, if you've got time, take volumes. But I wouldn't bother. It will all be revealed one day. Listen to this hymn, and we're going to sing this now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah! What a saviour! Now we're going to sing this song, this hymn now. You can't whisper the song. There is no one here who can stand and not sing the song. We have to give God the glory for what He's done. Let's stand. Let's give God glory. I'll sing with you. Yeah.
here's the last verse. When he comes, the glorious again for us. You are victorious. And Lord, when we get up on a Monday morning and when we feel as if the whole world is caving in on us, may these words come to us that you cried, it is finished. You went to proclaim victory over all evil. And you said you will come again. And you are a God who does not change. You will come for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you've taken this thing out of death. That Jesus did that for us. Lord, we do not need to fear death anymore. When that time comes in the twinkling of an eye, we go from this life to be with you. And then we live with you forever. Lord, help us to take our eyes off this world and the things of this world. And to put our eyes on you, Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious Lord of all. Amen.